Hey, grab your full page outline as we get into today's study. I'm excited about this morning and all that God wants to say to us. I hope your, your mind and your heart is uh, open today. Jesus told his closest followers, uh, I give you a new commandment, love each other as I have loved you. Let's read that together. Love each other as I have loved you. Come on, one more time. Love each other as I have loved you. We've been talking about this each other part. Um, Jesus goes on to say, all people will know that you are my followers if you love each other, right? All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. Right on your outline, get this right up front here. We, follow, we show we follow Jesus by how we love each other. We show we follow Jesus by how we love each other. Now, that's kind of contrary to a lot of thinking. A lot of thinking is that, well, we show we follow Jesus by how many times we go to church, how many things we know in the Bible, uh, how many verses we've memorized, like Bill, you know, those kinds of things. And, and so we think that by doing all of these things, we show that we follow Jesus. But Jesus clearly says, if you want to show people that you really follow me, then you have to have love for each other. Now, it sounds really simple, Right? I mean, he nails it down to one thing, oh, that's pretty simple. Well, not really. When you think about it, when he says, love each other as I have loved you. And so for the last several weeks, we've been unpacking this all too often. I think we, we miss this. The church misses this part. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is one guy that did not miss this. And for the last several weeks, we've been talking about how Paul explains to us how that we can um, uh, unpack this loving each other in various ways, in different ways we can love each other. Today, we're going to look at a really interesting verse, Romans 15, 5. I'm going to be on the screen. I want you to read it with me. Would you read it with me? Live in harmony with each other the way Jesus wants. Come on, let's read it again. Live in harmony with each other the way... Jesus wants. Now, what's interesting is this is actually part of a verse. It's not the entire verse, and we're going to see it as we get to the end of our study today. But it's talking about harmony. On your outline, I want you to circle that word harmony. Harmony. Say it with me. Harmony. Harmony is an interesting word. What is harmony? Well, harmony, uh, defined, is the combination of simultaneously sounded musical notes to produce chords and chord Progressions, musically, that's what's talking about. There's another definition that says it's the quality of forming a pleasing and consistent whole. The last one is it's agreement, fellowship, cooperation, or like-mindedness. Now, I thought it would be fun for us to talk about a couple of different views of harmony, and I think you're going to see how this plays out then in our study of this passage in the context of this passage. So would you welcome Brooke up, back up to the stage with me as she comes? What I, uh, what I want to talk about with her is harmony. Now, if you don't know, Brooke is a music major, and no, she doesn't play the accordion. She plays the guitar that just blew a string during our set. If you didn't notice, home, it just kind of, <laughs> and so she's, bad. and unfortunately, she has another guitar that's at home oh. that blew a string, yeah. and so um, we got stuck, right? Yeah. And it just kind of happens sometimes. <laughs> But what I wanted her to help me explain, and you may already know this if you're a music person or you may not, is the idea of harmony and what harmony is, is all about. And so uh, musically, what harmony is, is a note that is an individual note that is complementary to a melody note. And so what I did is I brought my accordion. If you didn't know, I played accordion many years ago for 12 years. I learned it. And uh, Brooke said, you got to bring it. You got to show it. Because I want you to see what harmony is and how it kind of lays out on the keyboard. 
Um, I have not played in a very long time, okay? Just, just giving you a warning, all right? But I want you to see, like this is a chord. This is a C chord, okay? Everybody say C chord. Okay, and you got a root note, which is C, right? And then you have harmony notes, which would be the third and the fifth, which are E and G. And that makes a chord, all right? So in singing, if we were to harmonize, if I was to harmonize, I was a tenor when I used to sing in groups and stuff. And so I would sing the third, and so that was the note I would sing in a C chord. And Brooke mainly sings melody line in, when she's in her choral groups. And so I thought for you to hear it, you'll begin to understand it. So here's your note, Brooke. And then my note would be... Okay? What I want you to see is when you sing harmony to a melody line, you have to listen to the melody line. In fact, here's a kicker, you can't have harmony without a melody line. So I have to be sensitive in singing harmony, I have to be sensitive and aware of the person that's singing melody so that I can sing harmony to her note. Everybody follow that? So let's just try it together. Now, you don't have to be a perfect singer, but let's just see if you can hold a melody line, all right? Can everybody sing that with us? And I will sing the, there's the harmony. And you might hear this, which would be the alto, which would be the fifth. Everybody follow that? So we're giving you a little music lesson, okay? Give Brooke a hand. Thank you, Brooke, for coming up. And uh, we'll be here all week, and uh, we'll, we'll share a little bit with you. I cannot play anything at this point. I was messing around with it this morning. I could play a little bit of uh, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, but that's about it. So, no, I'm not going to do it right now. <laughs> So what I want you to do is I want you to stand with me now because we've learned a little bit musically. Would you stand with me? Now we're going to sing it together. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to sing anymore. What we're going to do is we're going to break. No, no, no. Stand up. We're going to break into some groups. And I want you to now answer a couple of questions relationally. We've learned musically, basically, what harmony is. But Paul in the scripture is talking about relationally. Live in harmony with each other. So you don't go around you know, talking to people and you're, ah, I'm, I'm living in harmony with you. It's not singing, right? It's, it's relationally. And so I got a couple of questions for you to answer in groups. So I want you to grab three or four people around you and form a group, and we're going to pop up a question for you to answer, all right? Go ahead. Find three or four people around you. And I want you to answer this first question. What would harmony look like in relationships? What do you think harmony would look like in relationships? Go ahead, take a few minutes and just answer that question. What would harmony look like in relationships? Good, good. Okay, so here's the second question I want you to answer. Now, I want you to understand that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this verse in the context of a church. He's talking to church people. He's talking to Jesus followers. So he's talking about harmony. Live in harmony with each other. Live in harmony in the church. He's talking about that. So my next question I want you to answer together as a group is, how is harmony different? Go ahead. Yeah, how is harmony different than unity in church relationships? How do you think in a church, how would harmony be different than unity? Because it is. Because the New Testament talks about unity as well, but it's different. How would harmony be different than unity? Now think about what we learned musically up here. 
And that'll kind of help you, and you're going to see a little bit of it, okay? Go ahead, just a few minutes. How would harmony be different than unity? Unity, you're all together, right? So let's think about it musically. Musically, if you were singing a note together, you would be in unity, right? You'd be singing the melody note or whatever. Let's just say we're singing the same note. That's key, same note. Harmony is what? There's different notes being sung, right? In order to have harmony, remember I said in order to have harmony, you have to have melody. So you have to have at least two notes being sung. Everybody follow that? So in a church relationship, Paul is not only calling us to to be unified in thought and, and believing in the Lord Jesus and these kinds of things, but he's calling us into living in harmony, which means that we may be different people, but we're called to live together. Everybody follow that? So hopefully you, you kind of got that, that understanding of that answer. Great. Thank you for standing. Appreciate it. Go ahead, have a seat. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for all that you're going to do in our lives today. You're going to take this word, uh, an, an amazing passage, and you're going to help us understand this whole idea of harmony, living in harmony with each other. Help us, God. We pray it in your name. Everybody said, Amen. So the book of Romans is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Jesus' followers living in the city of Rome. What's interesting about this letter is he's writing saying, I long to see you. I long to be there. I long to come and visit you. He had never really visited the believers, the followers in Rome. And so he's writing this letter in hopes of getting there. And look at what he says in Romans 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. So Paul is saying, this is a letter that I'm writing to you. And I want you to keep that in your mind because it's really crucial for us to understand the context. Early manuscripts of biblical text do not contain chapter and verses. In our Bibles, we have chapter divisions and verses, really honestly, to help us find things. It's kind of like the address. I've heard people call it the address before. What's the address of that verse? Well, it's John 13, 35, or it's Luke 8, 39, you know, those kinds of numbers. And so it it helps us give a, a reference point so that when we want to find a verse or a passage, we know where to go. So really, it's a modern thing. Your modern Bibles contain chapter and verse divisions. This was, not only, this was not developed, though, until the 13th century. So you have to think about when Paul was writing his letter, he didn't have chapters. When he's writing his manuscript, and he didn't write chapter 3, you know, chapter 4. He didn't write it that way. It was just one long letter that he's writing to the believers, the followers in Rome. And in Paul's letter, Romans 14 and Romans 15 flow with one thought. And why I'm, why I'm wanting you to see this is it's really important for us to grasp the connection, the context, so that we understand what Paul's talking about. Take a look at what he writes. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, I want you to know right up front, don't misunderstand this, Paul is not teaching that sin is a subjective thing. He's not saying that in any way. Paul isn't saying that each person can decide what is right or what is wrong on their own. No. 
Sin is sin. The Bible, Scripture, is very explicit. It explicitly defines sin in Scripture. So we're not talking about the things that are clearly sinful. Paul is giving us an example. He'll show us in just a minute. He's talking about non-moral things. Take a look. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Now, what I want you to understand that in Paul's day, food was a really big issue. Turn to the person near you and just tell them food was a big deal. Would you just tell them that? It really was. It may not be as big a spiritual deal to us today as it was then. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never had anyone come up to me and say, man, eating that bean burrito is an unspiritual thing to do. I've never had anybody say that to me at Taco Bell. Have you ever had that happen? I've never had it happen, right? We don't put food in the same category as spirituality. But in their day, in Paul's day, they did. See, in Paul's day, Jewish people who had become Jesus followers still had Jewish dietary restrictions. You ever heard of the word kosher? Okay, That's, it was kosher laws. There were certain things that they were allowed to eat, certain things they were not allowed to eat according to Jewish religious restrictions. But in Paul's day, there were many non-Jews, Gentiles, coming to know Jesus as Jesus' followers. And guess what? Non-Jews ate everything. There were no restrictions per se. But also, there was this whole issue of idol worship. And for the non-Jews, for pagan idol worship, a lot of the times food was brought as a sacrifice to an idol god. And many times it was the choice cuts of meat that would be sacrificed to these gods. And what the temple workers, the idol temple workers discovered is they could take those choice meats that had been sacrificed and burned on the altar, they could then take them into the marketplace and sell them and make money off of them. So they were selling meat that had been sacrificed to idols at reduced prices. So people were taking advantage of this. Well, the problem came is when these Gentiles, these non-Jews, had become Jesus followers, they were trying to avoid all of the idol worship and anything connected with idol worship because that was the way their life was before. And now it is different, and they wanted nothing to do with idol worship, which included the meat sacrificed to idols. Everybody follow that? So, so food was a big deal. It was a big deal to Jewish Jesus followers. It was a big deal to non-Jewish Jesus followers. And so Paul is speaking into this. Look at verse 13. This is his big concern. He says, decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Now, I didn't give you all of the text, but in this text of Romans 14, Paul is basically saying that, you know, if you go and someone is eating meat that's been sacrificed to an idol and you have a, pro a hard time with that, don't condemn them, but yet understand that it may not be right for you to do. It was a non-moral thing. It was a non-quote sinful thing that he's talking about. 
But because it was a personal preference, people could get offended. People could really question and doubt, are you really a Christian? Are you really a Jesus follower if you're doing those things? Or on the flip side, if they see you doing those things, they could begin to think, well, it must be okay for me to do it. Even though I don't think it's right, I should go ahead and consider it. And so it opens this door up for sinful lifestyles in ways that they had never experienced before. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to address this, and he says to him, decide instead to live such a way that you will not cause another believer to fall. Now, here's the thing, and you can find this in all of Paul's writings. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we have freedom in Christ. The, the restrictions and um, the, the Jewish kosher laws and all these things of the Old Testament. I mean, honestly, when Jesus came onto the scene and died on the cross, he really eliminated or fulfilled those things so that we no longer face those kinds of restrictions. And fortunately, we don't have someone coming up to us and telling us you can't eat that bean burrito, right? Right? Everybody with me on that? Okay. We are called to exercise freedom, though, in a way that will help others around us move toward Jesus. See, that's what Paul's saying. Yes, we have freedom. You can eat whatever you want to eat. In fact, in Romans 14 and 15, he's very clear. He's like, you know, it is permissible. You can eat anything you want to eat, but just make sure that you're not negatively affecting somebody else around you. Hmm. So Paul writes the same challenge to the Jesus followers in the city of Corinth. Take a look. We are allowed to do all things, but not all things are good for us to do. We are allowed to do all things, but not all things help others grow stronger. Do not look out only for yourselves. Look out for the good of others also. Do you see it? He's saying, live in such a way that you will not cause someone else, another follower of Jesus, to stumble, to fall to lose faith. He's really direct in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Look what it says. Be careful, Paul says, be careful that your freedom does not cause those who are weak in faith to fall into sin. Wow. So we have been granted freedom by what Jesus did on the cross. We are free to enjoy all good things that God has given us. But, listen here, it doesn't make sense to engage in all things if by engaging in those things, I pull someone else down. Hmm. Now, growing up, many of you know I grew up in the church. And uh, we had people that would tell us it wasn't okay to watch TV when I was a kid. We had people that told us that we can't listen to certain kinds of music. And so, you know, bootleg was like the Christian thing. I mean, we, we, we would hide our eight tracks, if you can imagine, eight tracks. And cassettes, fortunately, I got to the area of cassettes. And we, we would, you know, listen to bootleg music, taboo music, even though we weren't supposed to. Um, some people said that you, you shouldn't go to a roller skating rink because it's sinful. I really don't follow that one. But anyway, I'll just go along. Some people said you shouldn't go to movie theaters. I remember sneaking in when my mom and dad, I hope my mom doesn't listen to this message, sneaking in, my mom and dad did not know that I went to my first movie in a movie theater. And I felt so guilty afterwards. I can't even remember what the movie was, to be honest. I just remember the guilt. 
of, of you know, doing that and knowing that some people said that's not spiritual to do that. Um, people would say that you shouldn't play cards, that it's sinful. And yet it's funny, in Christendom, in church world, they came up with this game called Rook. Anybody ever play Rook before? In my day, I call it Christian poker. Okay? Rook was allowed, but you couldn't play with regular cards because that was sinful. But you could play with Rook cards. It was okay. Right? Interesting. Um, some said that it's unspiritual for a man to have hair long enough to touch his collar. Okay? And I remember watching my collar in, when I went to church. Some say that beards and goatees are unspiritual. Uh-oh. You know? Um, some say that women shouldn't wear makeup, jewelry, or pants. Sorry, ladies. Hey, that, that was, I mean, if you, were, if you were in church world and back in the day, those were the things that were being pushed as restrictions. Now, how many of you know that there are a lot of things that have nothing to do with spirituality ever, right? We know that to be true. I mean, th- th- there are things that have nothing to do with what the Bible says is sin, There are many things that we are free to enjoy as long as we don't abuse them in excess. Some people get this, some people don't. Some Jesus followers understand freedom, on the other hand, because of their background or their past or their experiences, some Jesus followers struggle because they think these things are wrong. This kind of conflict can, can not only hurt people and cause people to stumble in their faith, but it can hurt churches. It can divide and disrupt and destroy. Not only lives, but churches. And so Paul teaches about these non-moral things. Take a look at verse 14. I know, I am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus, that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Wow, what a powerful statement there, right? And, the, and the, that laugh, don't let your eating ruin. We could, we could add in a lot of things. Don't let your whatever ruin someone for whom Christ died. Now, I want you to circle that word ruin. This is a big, serious word that the Apostle Paul is using. In the original language, original Greek language that the text was written in, it, it was... A huge, serious word. It is translated so many times in the New Testament as the word perish. For instance, in John 3.16, you may know this passage, John 3.16, John wrote, God gave his son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So Paul is saying, Don't let your eating or don't let your whatever that lifestyle habit is, don't let that thing kill somebody spiritually. Wow. It's talking about spiritual disaster in somebody's life. It's a a spiritual setback. It's going backwards in their spiritual life. It could cause someone to lose their joy. 
It, it could cause someone to lose their faith. It could cause someone to leave a church and never come back to God. And if we're not careful, we can cause people to fall by how we live. We could cause people to lose out spiritually. We can, we can devastate them when we abuse our freedom. Wow. Paul continues, verse 19. So then, let us aim for, what's that next word? Harmony. There it is. Let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work, God, work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. Do you see the emphasis here? Hmm. Friends, there are Jesus followers, sadly, who would rather um, drink or eat or do all kinds of things, other things, rather than think about the influence and the impact they have on other Jesus followers. This is what Paul's talking about. He's saying, don't be like this. See, I've realized something, and I hope that you get this today. I want you to get this down, and this is like the one point that we're leading to today. I have realized that the way I live my life affects those around me. The way I live my life affects those around me. And the way you live your life, not just because I'm a pastor, the way you live your life affects those around you. And we're talking on a spiritual level. It affects those around you. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into an area, and I'm not doing it because it is, is an issue right now. This, is, I thought, is a great time to address this area for me personally, and I want you to hear what I'm trying to say through this. I've been asked several times, Bart, why don't you drink alcohol? Th there are several reasons that I can give you. Um, but my main reason has always been, and will probably always be, how people around me would be affected if I did. Um, I, this is just something that I have held personally and we hold in our family. I have been close to individuals um, who have self-destructed because of alcohol in their life. I, we, we had, years ago, we had a guy, and I, I looked to this side because this is where he stood. We had a guy on this platform that was a part of our music team that had come out of this lifestyle of drugs and alcohol, and he and his, and his family, his wife and his little girl, they, they, he was an awesome guy. He was trying to get his life together and all this, and he kept struggling and struggling. And I'll never forget the day that his wife came to me here at the church office and said, I can't take this anymore. I'm leaving him. So, so vividly, I saw a family that was destroyed from alcohol. Um, I have extended family members who have been seriously affected by alcohol. I had, a, I have a, had an uncle um, who was seriously, he, he had to go on dialysis and he died because of alcohol consumption. So I feel strongly about this, so strongly that I don't drink. 
And this is, this is a personal thing. The coffees do not drink alcohol. We teach our kids to not drink alcohol. We teach our kids to date only and marry only people who don't drink alcohol, mainly because of how we have seen it affect people's lives. I'm not pushing this on you in any way. This is what we believe. But I would never want to do something that could destroy people around me. Um, and, and so I have realized that the way I live my life affects people around me. Here at Pathway Church, our leadership believes that this is an issue that deserves our concern. And we had set up kind of policies and protocol years ago because we feel this is an issue that deserves our constant concern, because we've seen how families in our culture have been affected by substance abuse. And so in our setting here at Pathway Church, we have established that all leaders and all teachers will abstain from alcohol while serving in their leadership or teaching roles, mainly because we don't want someone like my friend that was right here on this stage and shared this stage with me, we don't want someone who is struggling with that in their life. I don't want him to come over to my house, which they did several times. I don't want him to come over to my house and say, hey, Bart, I'm thirsty. And I say to him, go ahead, help yourself. And he opens up the fridge. And what does he find? That there, there is a responsibility that I have for those around me. You say, well, Bart, you're a pastor, and so that's different. No. Paul's writing to all Jesus followers. It's getting quiet in this room today. It's good. Because we need to hear what God is saying to us. This, this idea here at Pathway Church, does this affect all volunteers? No. It only affects those who desire to lead or teach. They are called to abstain from alcohol when they're serving in those roles. See, see we know from the New Testament letters that, that Paul wrote, he would be the first to tell us, don't let anyone take away your freedoms. He, he already said, all kinds of food is okay, right? We've already, we've already read that. He's saying, don't let anyone convince you to give this up in any way. Your freedom is important. But Paul would also say to you that living out your freedom may be the most unloving thing you can do for someone around you if they have a problem in that area. So Paul calls us to abstain from our freedoms for the sake of each other. Isn't that interesting? Look at Romans 15. Paul says, We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right to help them be stronger in the faith. And then he gives this little line that grabbed my attention just this week, and I kind of added this part in because I felt like God wants to say something to us. Paul says, even Christ did not live to please himself. 
Do you remember what Jesus said to us? It's our, it's our key passage for this entire series. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you, right? So Jesus is saying, I love you so much and I want you to love each other in that way. It's interesting that Paul writes about this kind of love. Take a look what he writes in Philippians 2. Paul says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Look at this right here. Instead, he gave up his privileges. That's the part that grabbed me this week. He was willing to set aside a freedom that he had as God. So that, look what it says, he gave up his privilege, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Basically, he's saying, because I love these people so much, I am giving up, sacrificing my privilege, my freedom, so that I can reach these people and influence and impact these people. Wow. Jesus willingly gave up his privilege to help us know God. Man, love asks you to give things up for other people. Paul isn't asking you to give up your freedom. He's just asking you to love people more than your freedom. Hmm. You and I, we're free to do many things. I'm so glad that we don't have the dietary restrictions that they had in the, in the Old Testament. I mean, read through the boring book of Leviticus, and you will see. I'm not going to, I mean, I can't eat it now. If you don't know, I had to go vegan because of health reasons. But there was a day when I enjoyed bacon. Anybody else enjoy bacon? Bacon makes everything good, right? I mean, can, I mean, can you imagine having such tight dietary restrictions? It was a tough thing. And, and Jesus comes in and goes, no, no, no. In Mark 7, he says, it's not what people take in that, that defiles them. So he's saying, food, everything is okay. Paul says, everything is okay. Just like Jesus, everything is okay. But I need to love people around me more than I love my freedoms. I'm free to do many things. Whether I exercise that or not is a whole other matter. When I abstain from a freedom for the cause of someone else, what it shows is my care and my concern for that Jesus follower. It shows that I want them to move closer and closer to Jesus in their faith. I choose to not do those things in order to love someone else. Hmm. So Paul writes in our verse, in verse 5 of Romans 15, may the patience and encouragement that come from God allow you to live in harmony with each other the way Jesus wants. Remember, the word harmony reflects a symphony. That's kind of the way to think about it musically. It's not just one instrument. 
It's many instruments. It's not just one note. It's many notes that make up the chord and the, and the beauty, the beautiful symphony, a collection of instruments playing the same, on the same page at the same time, and they bring in this harmony. They don't sound alike. They, they don't even play the same notes, but they create harmony. And so it is with the body of Christ, the church. We do not look alike. Look around. We do not look alike. We don't sound alike. We don't even act alike. We certainly don't think alike. And yet, in the church, the body of Christ, because of what Jesus has done, we come together as a body. And we are enriched by the variety of different opinions and backgrounds, and experiences, and perspectives. It all comes together, but there should be harmony when we understand that the things that unite us are greater than the things that divide us. We have harmony. We can live in harmony with each other the way Jesus wants. Would you bow your heads with me?